Hey, welcome back to another episode of Your Fitness Formula. I've got a pretty great one in store for you today. I spoke with Roshni Sangvi. She's one of India's leading plant-based sports nutritionists and transformation specialists. And yes, she did call me from India and she stayed up way past her bedtime to talk with me. So I was very appreciative of that. <laughs> she um, has a holistic approach to health that I think a lot of the guests on this podcast share. Um, she focuses on sustainable long-term lifestyle changes instead of temporary fad diets. And she promotes and consumes a vegan diet herself, but she also understands that veganism isn't for everyone. Um, she thinks that it is a great and maybe one of the best options, but that there are plenty of other options for you out there to help you achieve your goals. So I had a great time talking with her, and I think you're really going to enjoy the episode. Hey, what if I told you I have the secret get fit quick formula? Well, I'd be lying. See, there isn't a one-size-fits-all magic potion, and fitness isn't something obtained overnight. I learned that the hard way. Through many failed experiments, I've ended up on all sides of the scale, from overweight to underweight to now my ideal weight. I've been where you are. It took a while, but I finally discovered there is a simple formula. It's reliable and sustainable. It can be tailored to your individual genetics and goals. It's not a shortcut, but knowing about it is. This show is meant to guide you along your health journey. By listening to the stories of health and fitness professionals, you will learn the principles and habits that can lead you to long-term health. I'm Teddy Benz, and I want to help you craft your fitness formula. Roshni, hi, how are you? I'm good, Teddy. How are you doing? Very good. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's way past my bedtime here. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, you're based in India, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, thank you for uh, staying up to talk with me. I'm um, excited to uh, get to know you more and uh, talk health and fitness with you. Same here. I'm excited. To I went through your channel and you're doing some amazing work. So I'm excited to explore this. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, so before we get into talking health and fitness, could you uh, give me a little background about yourself? Uh, what got you into the fitness world and what you do today? Um, I have my educational background in clinical psychology. I have uh, studied clinical psychology. And when I finished my education, I was forced to move back to India because of a family emergency. Um, and I started getting into the family business, which was in the fitness industry, having zero background and zero knowledge in the fitness industry. I sort of stepped into it from a management role, management perspective, but to understand the industry and to help, uh, you know, the business grow, I had to learn fitness. And I started, you know, diving into fitness. I was still working as a clinical psychologist. I was still working with clients. But then more and more, I started studying about fitness. I understood that there's a lack of, you know, a, like, like a lack of bridge, um, you know, bridging both the industries. So for people who are struggling with mental health issues like dementia, Alzheimer's, um, you know, body image issues, um, anorexia, bulimia, there's not a lot of personal trainers who help uh, to help them in the right direction. Nor are we as personal trainers um, in our education background, we are not taught, uh, you know, there's, there's not a lot of chapters or pages in, in the textbooks, which we read um, that train us to help deal with clients with mental health issues. 
and people with mental health issues require guidance and psychologists and counselors are not trained to help with fitness knowledge. So I saw this lack of gap and I started bridging, you know, the, the gap working in the industry, which I was working in. I started seeing people with body image issues. Um, and what was surprising was a lot of clients who came to my gym were taking antidepressants, which is pretty common all over the world, but no one wants to talk about it. So you wouldn't go up to your personal trainer and say, hey, I'm also taking an antidepressant. Will that have an effect in, in terms of my results or my metabolism? Uh, no one wants to talk about it. Um, but more and more, I started exploring that from a psychologist and therapist point of view, people started opening up to me. And that gave me sort of an avenue to work with people with mental health issues and helping them get fit and use fitness as a form of therapy, which I still do till date. So yeah, that's a little bit about me, Teddy. <laughs> awesome. Um, and yeah, you really um, hit on a great point that um, mental and physical health are really closely connected. Like having um, a good positive uh, image of your own body will... Um, not only make you more confident and um, probably help you perform better in the gym, but just um, being healthy physically will often help your mental health. So um, the connection between those two is something that um, is important to remember. It's not just about... Uh, granted, yeah. yeah. Especially now, I think, with the age of social media and everyone being on social media, let's say you're working with the client and let's say the client is, you know, uh, has symptoms of anorexia or bulimia and you're constantly asking the client to monitor his or her weight on the scale you know on a weekly basis which as personal trainers you want to track progress so you're going to tell people to do that but for someone who has body image issues constantly having to look at themselves in the mirror and take a picture of themselves could be a very daunting experience which you don't realize as personal trainers nor are clients very open to talk about it so i think you know as personal trainers it becomes our obligation Maybe even in our initial induction forms, like we have the Park U form and the lifestyle questionnaire, maybe having a questionnaire designed uh, to ask certain questions, which force the client, not force the client, sort of, you know, probe the client to open up about how they feel about their body image. How, how does a client feel when, how does someone who's obese feel when they have to click their pictures in front of the mirror every week? You know, if it's not, a, if it's an anxiety causing experience for them, maybe not do it. Maybe look at it from a different approach. Maybe monitor their progress in terms of how many sessions are they able to come to the gym because that itself is a progress. Or maybe monitor their progress by, um, you know, their, their increase in stamina or increase in endurance. And that would be a better mark instead of checking your weight or checking your uh, pictures. Right. It's important to look at your health and fitness with a more holistic perspective. It's not all about performance. Um, the way you feel, uh, the way that your mind feels, extremely important. Um, so how do you go about helping a client to uh, recognize that Like, if you do um, believe that they are um, struggling with um, mental uh, health problems. Um, how do you help them to understand that maybe they should focus um, on their own thoughts before they focus too much on their physical well-being? Yeah, I think it also goes hand in hand because for a lot of people, uh, using fitness is a form of therapy. Let's say uh, you know you're struggling with let's say uh, um, anxiety issues. And then fitness becomes a, a form of therapy, but also understanding if every time you step into the gym, 
it gives you a panic attack you know seeing other people around and uh, it just makes it, it just makes you feel intimidated it doesn't feel make you feel comfortable then maybe you understand that's your client's starting point and don't take them to the gym floor maybe start your uh, training sessions in you know like an aerobics room or something which is uh, secluded where not a lot of people are there because not everyone is comfortable that's why a lot of people don't want to come to the gym and you know it's scary for them it's in a way uh, it's mm-hmm. a scary environment to be around people who know what they're doing when you don't know what you are doing so i think you know taking clients from wherever their starting point is and setting realistic expectations let's say someone's taking um let's say someone's taking medication for depression now when you're taking medication for depression uh, one of the side effects is weight gain and let's say someone's taking a medication for depression are gaining is gaining weight but their goal is weight loss their results are not going to be as fast as someone who's not taking medication for depression so maybe setting this realistic expectation with clients in terms of what is possible and what is not possible um or a simple example someone taking medication for depression might also have difficulty waking up early in the morning and tends to cancel their workout sessions because they're not able to get out of bed then you know that's their client that's the client starting point then maybe don't set up the training sessions early in the morning do it at a time which is comfortable for them so they don't have to go through this guilt of i try to do this but i'm not able to do it um so every client has a different starting point which i think you say beautifully in your bio um when you when you explain how there's no one size fits all everyone is different everybody is different and you know you have to explore what works for you right maybe uh one person um is comfortable going with the gym but they're uncomfortable with doing certain exercises and you have to uh help them get over maybe the nervousness of um doing some kind of heavy weight training or for another person it's just even going to the gym at all and being around other people and um facing the um potential um judgment that other people might be giving you or even if that's not true just like your own mind telling you people are looking at me and judging me and just helping them understand that um even just going to the gym is progress and if you're not ready to go to the gym that that's fine as well um just make the progress that the best you can from where you are currently yeah i've had this many time while in my training sessions because also the kind of people i work with are not you know um they are from different we are working with mental illness is very different so i've had this many time during the training sessions where the client has like a breakdown and starts crying and trying to take the client out of that environment you know into the changing rooms and trying to explain to the client that it's valid for you to feel what you're feeling right now you don't have to be embarrassed about it and you have the right to your own emotions and it's okay to vent out because fitness is a form of therapy and something triggered you right now and it's okay to feel that um which is very important as a personal trainer because it could be it's such a embarrassing experience like you know imagine like you're in the gym floor and you start crying it's an embarrassing experience so for someone to make them feel comfortable um i think all personal trainers need to give the client sort of that safe space where they able to express themselves not become their counselor because you're not trained to be a counselor but at least give them the safe space to let them vent out their frustration mhm definitely and um someone that i um like to consume the content of is uh jordan sai and he says something that um 
very much goes along with uh, what we're talking about right now, that uh, it's important not to um, compare yourself to other people. Uh, you shouldn't compare uh, your own chapter one to someone else's chapter 15. Like just because someone else loves the gym and is um, doing great and just loves uh, that gym environment doesn't mean that you have to be. And it doesn't make the fact that um, you feel uncomfortable in that environment um, any less valid. Yeah. Or the form of fitness people choose, like gym is not the only way for people to get fit. And, you know, there's Absolutely. so many forms of fitness. And uh, if you don't like something, just because you saw your favorite celebrity get fit by going to the gym, and every morning going to the gym becomes a task for you. That's a clear sign for you to just switch to a different form of fitness where you're actually having fun and look forward to going. You know, if someone pushed me into going to Zumba when I was initially trying to lose weight and get into shape and get into fitness, I would never get into fitness. I hate Zumba. I hate dancing. And no matter how much I do it, I'm not going to like it magically. Um, but thank God no one pushed me for it. Thank God people let me explore what I wanted to do. And I you know, weight training and strength training uh, was something I, I found myself uh, inclined towards. So if you don't like one form of fitness, it's okay. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of forms of fitness and try something else. Right. Absolutely. And um, we can uh, use that as a perfect transitioning point to um, your nutrition. It's a very similar thing. There are lots and lots of ways to achieve your um in most cases, weight loss goals or your muscle gain goals, and you don't have to stick to one specific kind of diet. Curious to know, like, how do you help a client uh, determine what they should be doing nutritionally to achieve whatever their fitness goals are? Yeah, we give this, you know, we give diet is a very negative word. Um, because it mostly in most cases, the if you ask someone diet, the, the first word which comes to their mind is restriction and restrictive mm -hmm. eating. When in fact, it's not that. It's not really that. Uh, diet is really just a form. You, it's just nourishing your body with the nutrients your body needs. And you could achieve this through anything, any form of food that you enjoy eating, but something that is sustainable for the rest of your life. And you know, when people say that they're going on a short-term diet till they lose weight, and then they're going to go back to eating a different way, that's not going to be sustainable. Because the moment you go back to eating a different way, your body is going to respond the way it's, it's currently responding. So I think anything which is sustainable, which I try and talk to my clients, think about lifestyle changes instead of um, diet per se, uh, where you're getting your, we are tweaking parts of your lifestyle. Like example, starting your meal with a high volume food. Now you're not doing it till you lose weight, but high volume food sort of, you know, triggers the stretch receptors in your stomach to trigger your brain that you're full. Um, so if you start your meals with, let's say, you know, like a bowl of salad or like a bowl of soup, it's just triggering your stress receptors and you're not going to eat as much for your main meal. Now that becomes a lifestyle change, not till you lose weight. Um, you do it, you know, for the rest of your life. So pick up, picking up habits, which you can do for the rest of your life is essentially you make your own diet. Yeah, definitely. Um, another, uh, great tip would be to just, uh, drink more water. Um, oftentimes, uh, people will think that they're hungry when really it's just thirst or maybe um, boredom. But so try drinking water, not only will that fill up your stomach, but it might also quench your hunger. But and if it doesn't, then that and you're still hungry, that's 
perfectly fine. Um, it it's not a way. It, it shouldn't be a form of restriction. It should be a maybe a way of testing uh, yourself for um, that hunger. Yeah, yeah. Or for like people who don't like to drink water, then go in for herbal teas. You know, make your water yeah. exciting and it's still it's still a lifestyle change because what i tend to do is in my um at my workplace at my office desk i always have a lot of herbal tea sachets and depending on how i'm feeling that day i have like 10 different flavors to choose from and that entire ritual of making like a cup of tea pop for myself is therapeutic and i like to do that um in between work because it gives me a few minutes of non doing few minutes of not worrying about things and not constantly staring at my computer screen um at the same time i'm getting my liquids in so you know it's a lifestyle change it's not a temporary uh till i lose weight change it's it's for the rest of my life mhm and uh for me because i'm a stereotypical american it's coffee uh, um and it it serves the same function for me and um i think that all of these examples we're laying out are um just go to show that there are a lot of different ways um yeah. just because you drink tea doesn't mean i have to and because exactly. i drink coffee yeah. doesn't mean you have to but we are doing a very similar thing yeah it's it's low key biohacking <laughs> because you're trying to you know to tweak your system fool your system into believing that like you said either you're full or i mean liquids act in a different what happens with water is um, there's a hormone called angiotensin which is released in the body when you start getting thirsty and angiotensin has been linked with obesity now when you hydrate yourself you're not as thirsty there's not as much angiotensin levels um and you know you're likely not to gain as much weight um, but besides that you know having constantly people want to fidget they they people like to fidget like you know when i'm talking to you i have a glass of uh, i have a cup of tea next to me because you want to keep you want to fidget and have something constantly so instead of munching on snacks when you're having liquids you're not munching but at the same time you're fidgeting you're keeping your brain occupied um so you know like biohacking your system into believing you're doing something but which is not calorically dense Mhm. Uh you mentioned uh that term biohacking. Can you uh, expand a little bit um more on that and maybe um ways that you can biohack? It's interesting. Uh small things like you know intermittent fasting is like a low key biohacking. So biohacking is what it's basically um optimizing your system to perform at at its maximum capacity. Uh when you're intermittent fasting, um you know there's research which shows that your testosterone levels are peak slightly your testosterone levels peak slightly your uh, fight or flight response peaks uh, your mood alleviates so that's a form of you know optimizing your system to perform its very best but just like intermittent fasting there could be multiple other lifestyle changes you make um which start sort of optimize your system to perform at its maximum best including food which is highly anti-inflammatory which inevitably is a plant-based diet it's very anti-inflammatory it's very antioxidant um so there's not a lot of free radicals in your body so your recovery is faster you don't have as much inflammation um is sort of biohacking your system into recovering faster so you get back on the floor to train harder um so you're better at your sport which athletes you so if you look at the william sisters or like many athletes they don't follow a plant based diet they don't recognize by a plant based diet they don't promote a plant based diet but a few weeks before their competition they go on a plant based diet 
And that's because recovery is faster, digestion is better. So it's really just hacking your system into performing at its optimum capacity. All right. Uh, just so I understand, um, tell me if I'm uh, right on this. So is it um, biohacking is kind of recognizing what the most optimal uh, thing for your body would be for like whatever your goals are um, and implementing um, those things? I think like it's not something you have to do. Just like the Williams sisters don't do it all the time. They just do it like when they um, yes. want to perform their best. Where So I, I, what comes to my mind is say that your goal is um, to gain muscle. Um, the most optimal state for you is going to be in a slight calorie surplus. Um, yes. But yes. You, yeah. you don't have to be in a calorie surplus to gain muscle. But it'll be a much slower process for you if you're not in a surplus. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or like having chamomile tea at night, which will sedate you to sleep, which, you know, naturally mm -hmm. triggers a hormonal release in your body, which will sedate you to sleep. So, you know, just, yeah. Of course, there's like biohacking where people insert like chips and stuff into their body to make their body into like a machine. <laughs> but from a health perspective, that's what I mean, yeah. Uh-huh. All right. Um... So are there any um, particular, I guess, tips or ideas that come into your mind that you try to uh, get across to most people you meet, like someone who um, hasn't been thinking about their health regularly um, and just simple things that you think that um, every person should know and at least consider uh, implementing into their life? I think the easiest one is, uh, you know, sort of training. So all of us, human body, biologically, all of us are designed to be able to hold on to the maximum calories and um, move, you know, move the minimum amount. All of us are, you know, we are designed like that. We want to hold on to maximum calories because biologically it protects us. You know, you burn a lot of calories, you go through periods of famine, you're going to die. So your body wants to hold on to the maximum and expend does not want to expedite a lot so all of us are designed but you have to sort of train your system to get out of this comfort zone so a simple example is if you and your partner are watching tv and the doorbell rings one of you is instantly like to get up and open the door and one of you is instantly like to say get up and see who's at the door um you know which happens so the person who would naturally want to get up and open the door you'll also notice that they tend to have something called a higher metabolism or, you know, these are the people we say you can eat whatever you want to eat and it doesn't show on your body. That's not true. That's not because they have a higher metabolism. That's only because they've trained their body to move more than other people. So what one of the, you know, lifestyle changes I highly suggest my clients is to cover 7,000 steps per day. And at the end of the day, send me a screenshot of your, you know, either your watch, your app tracker or, whatever app you're using to track. And, and I also ask them to keep an alarm 45 minutes before going to bed. And mostly on day one, this tends to happen. 45 minutes before going to bed, the alarm rings and that's when they remember, oh shit, I need to do 7,000 steps. And then they start walking around their bed, you know, to start covering that because they know that they're accountable to me and they need to send a picture. Mm -hmm. The same thing happens on day two. The same thing happens on day three. Sometime around day four, they remember it in the afternoon that I don't like walking around my bed. It's pretty silly. So let me start doing it earlier on in the day. Sometime by day seven, eight, they start doing it in the morning. Now by month one or month two, they don't have to remind themselves. If the doorbell rings, they are going to likely get up and open the door. You know, if they're 
going to work and it's like the stairs or the elevator they don't have to force them to to take the stairs they know subconsciously that they need to cover this many steps and they are likely to take the stairs and 7000 steps per day is approximately 200 to 250 calories now this is a lifestyle change which you trained yourself for which you won't forget for years to come so without thinking you're burning an additional 250 calories a day without thinking too much about it and you know this just becomes a part of you inevitably that on a long term transition to weight loss without dieting without making any other change in terms of your physical activity as in going to the gym or anything else so my you know when i'm working with clients or through my social media my intention it is to help people understand how you can make these small lifestyle changes throughout your day which will help you naturally get into shape without you putting too much mind into it yeah that's that's great advice um yeah making something um a habit um and kind of like second nature yeah. makes the uh process of living a healthy life just a lot simpler and easier like if you don't have to think about it and it just happens that i think that's the kind of the goal uh when you want to live a healthy life yeah absolutely yeah yeah um so uh thank you so much for joining me rashni um if you'd like to take a moment to tell people um how they can uh find you on the internet any um social stuff uh please go ahead um my website has details to everything uh, rashnisongi.com which i'm pretty sure you leave the links to teddy <laughs> yep so yep just- that'll be uh, in the show notes so uh, if you're interested uh, check that stuff out yeah so you, if you just go on my website you're going to find links to my youtube my instagram my facebook uh twitter and everything <laughs> uh so yeah i would love to connect with you all just dm me and let me know that you came from teddy's show and um i would love to send you some complimentary uh lifestyle modification tips awesome well um thank you for that and for um talking with me today it was a pleasure thank you teddy bye right bye hey i wanted to say thank you so much for listening I've set a goal of helping as many people as I can live happier, healthier lives, even if it is just in the small way that this podcast can provide. If you have found this episode valuable, and if you haven't already, please consider subscribing as well as leaving a rating and review. It helps grow the show, which allows me to reach more people like you. Until next time, be well.